Well, I know it's been a while, but we're going to turn our Bibles to Genesis again. Genesis chapter 16, it's on page 7 uh, in the Pew Bible, if you were following. He's slowly moving along with, uh, with Abraham. If you remember, if you remember, he went out not knowing whither he was going. Here he is, he's still in the dark after all his time. I'm just going to read the first six verses. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Agar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Agar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Agar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she could conceive, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. You know, I suppose, if I were to ask you this morning, as Christians, what it was that keeps you from God's best in your life, you would invariably say that it was your sin. Perhaps you would say that it was your imperfections. Perhaps some of you would say that uh, it was your weaknesses. Perhaps others would say it was your frailties. Oh, these are the things that we blame very often for keeping us from God's best. When you think about it, that sounds quite obvious to me. See, nothing wrong with thinking that sin keeps us from being where God would have us to be. You know, and the fact the Bible itself would suggest the same. You know, there's a passage in Isaiah which says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is your heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, your frailties, your shortcomings, your weaknesses are separated from you, God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So of course it is our sin. Of course it is our imperfections. Of course it is our weaknesses and our frailties that keep us from God's best for our lives. And we can forever be blaming those things that we are not progressing in the things of God. You know, but as you read this passage, this story of Sarah and Abraham, it's very evident that that is simply not the case. You see, in seeking God's best, it's plain to see from this part of the scripture that our greatest enemy is the good things that we do and not the bad things that we do. This is where 
We are at our most opposed to God when we are trying our best, when we are doing the things that are right and good and noble from a natural standpoint. No, none of us would ever think that the wrong things we do would bring us closer to God. No, that would be stupid for us to ever think that our sin would make us more acceptable to God. But we do have an inkling, just a small inkling, that if we do our best, then progress in the kingdom is assured. And we will achieve the standing that we think that we deserve. Listen to the Pharisee, because he thought the same thing. This is what he said. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see, the man was trying his best. He was giving it his best shot. Not like the other man. The tax collector by his side was confessing his worst. But the Pharisee was giving his best. And when Jesus commented on this, the, the scene that was before him, that on the one hand he had the Pharisee trying his best and the tax collector confessing his worst, he said this, he said, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified, that is, he had a right standing with God, he had progressed in the kingdom, he had come to the place where he could enjoy the presence of God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee, in trying his best, presented the most opposition to Christ. Whereas the tax collector threw himself on the mercy of Christ. Now let's look at the situation that we have in this passage of scripture. Abraham and Sarah. You know, everything about Abraham's call was dependent upon him having a child. It all hung on this slender thread of him having a son, a seed, so that he could bring into being a nation that would bless the earth and bring into being the Messiah who would bless, with whom he would bless the earth. You know, his barrenness and Sarah's barrenness was a source of great sorrow. You know, it's obvious that having been called by God and having received the promise of God that you were going to be the father of nations and through you the seed will come, the barrenness that he was experiencing was a great source of sorrow and presented him with a constant <coughs> trial of his faith. Just imagine the torment that he was going through. No front, because now it had been quite a number of years since he went out not knowing whither he was going. He received the promise of uh, the land, the promise of the, of the sun. And yet nothing was happening. Nothing was taking place. You know, can you imagine the doubt 
as he thought of the legitimacy of his call. You know, what was I thinking? Was it true? Did I dream it? Have I imagined it? Is it right that I should be here? You know, when all my family are way over there. I've come here on this pretense that God has actually called me. You know, the confusion in his mind that he would have felt as time went on. You know, and looking at himself and looking at his wife thinking, you know, time is gone when this great event was going to take place. You know, was I mistaken? Was I kidding myself? You know, and I suppose, I don't know about you, but I would think that we've all gone through such times as being sitting down and thinking, I'm kidding myself here. Do I know that I have spent many hours sit sat at the edge of my bed wondering whether I'm kidding myself having taken up this type of ministry you know when the times then they were barren times and times when nothing was happening and things were falling apart around you and you're thinking wow who did I think I was to think that God would ever call me and use me in the situation that I thought he did you know and there's been many times and I've been that close to throwing it all in and forgetting all about it. Who was I kidding? Who was I kidding? You know, here is uh, Abraham in exactly the same situation. Who was he kidding? That he thought that he was good enough that God could ever call him and Sarah and fulfill his promises in him. Now where Abraham and Sarah began to go wrong was in the fact that they tried their best to fulfill God's will. But in doing so, found themselves in error and actually opposed to God's will. You see, we, when we go off on a tangent, such a line, we become devoted not to God's will anymore, but to our own interpretation. Of God's will. You know and. The secret I suppose of. Living in God's will. Is to never. Divorce God's will. From our personal relationship with him. God's will. For our life. Is not more important. Than our relationship with him. And so many people have gone astray. Because they've gone after God's will. And they have forgotten. God. They have forgotten God. And they have tried their best to achieve what they think God has called them to do. And in doing so, I've lost that vital link with God himself. It's the relationship that we have with God that is the most important thing that God has given to us. You know, the most important thing about you and I is that we cultivate that relationship. But we tender, uh, tender it, or tend it, tend it, care for it, cultivate it in a way that it grows deeper and deeper and deeper. You see, the will of God can wait. What He's called us to do can wait. Wait until His time. Didn't He say on one occasion that the, the vision, though it tarry, wait for it? Because it's not tarrying. It might seem to be tarrying in your eyes. You might think God is dragging his feet in your estimation. But you see, when God has promised us something, it's in his time. 
And we run before him at our peril. Just as Sarah and Abraham have run before him at their peril. It's the relationship that we have with God that is the most important thing of all. You know, and fanaticism is sticking to my own interpretation of God's will rather than waiting for him to make things clear as I cultivate and find out who he is, his heart, his mind. You know, we can understand God we can understand the things that he's going through, the things that he wants, the more we get to know him. Rather than running in front of him and trying this and trying that and trying the other. Waiting. Waiting on God to make things clear. You know, I've got to do something. Things are not working. You know, the, what he's promised hasn't taken place. This must be something I haven't done. So I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get on with something. You know, sometimes, sometimes the will of God is that we do nothing. You see, the triumph of faith sometimes lies in not doing anything but waiting. You know, if you look in the scriptures, we are encouraged to wait more than we are to do. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not faint. Or whatever. <laughs> I will go well then. Yeah. I'll verse then on my own. Without seeing it written down. No and um, we are told rather than to, to go and do these things. You see our natural impulse is to help God to achieve His aims. Doing our best. Helping him. He needs our help. Helping God to do the things. But in doing so, we actually oppose those aims. Unless, of course, it is brought into obedience to God's will. And God's revealed purpose, which can only be brought about by our devotion to him. Our devotion to him, rather than depending on our own wisdom. This is the way to do it. Surely, surely God wants us to save us. But this is the way to do it. This is the way to go about it. You know, I was thinking coming down in the car, as I, I, I studied this yesterday, but I, when I was coming down in the car, I was thinking of all the things that the church has brought in in order to do God's will. All the fads and the fashions. I told you about the, the man who legitimately said that if you bring someone if you bring someone to the meeting next week, I will give you a goldfish. I will give you a goldfish. And he, he went on and said that he had this big tank. He, was, he had a big church. He had a big tank of goldfish in the garden waiting to see how many people would bring someone so that he could present them with a goldfish. He said, and the day was so warm that when the end of the meeting came for him to give out his goldfish, he'd gone out. And every one of them had boiled to death. They had boiled to death. As if to say, I don't need your goldfish. I don't need your goldfish. You know when we look out on today's church and we see this fad and, you know, oh, we've got to do some of this. Oh, we've got to do some of that. Oh, some of this is going to happen. Some of that is going to happen. 
You know, we could have made things easy. We could have put this up and that up. No. No. We could have preached the gospel. But you see, the gospel isn't working. We could have prayed. Prayer isn't working. We could have witnessed. Witness isn't working. We've done all that. We've got to try and do something else. Just like Sarah. We've done all that, says Sarah to Abraham. We've done it all. It hasn't worked. We'll we try this. And we get on with this. You know, and those sort of helps that we try to give God, our giving Him our best, we oppose rather than promote the will of God. And we depend, rather than depending upon Him and His purposes and His power, we depend upon our own wisdom. And that's what these things, these two did. They depended upon their own wisdom. Of course they were influenced by the practice of their time. You know, no one would think of doing what these two did today. Because that's not what our culture is about. But I suppose in this culture... You know, to send your maid, in, maid into your husband was, was okay. Everyone used to do it. You know, so they were influenced by that, of course. But what they did dictated which way God would act. Or they tried to dictate which way God should go. How he should do things. You know, his will. Yes, his will is for Abraham to have a son. But it was his will. And it will be done his way, according to his purpose, in his time. But no, we've got to help him. We've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to get that done, or this done. You know, Solomon shows us the right way around. He says these words, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And there we can see the devotion, the relationship that is built up between us and God. You don't trust someone you don't know. Don't trust someone you, who, you, who you can't feel and understand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Trust Him. Trust Him. You know we have no business dictating to God. But we must remain true to Him. And we must trust Him. But he will carry out his will. He will carry out his own will. In his own way. And in his own time. You know, we could be found more eager to do God's will than God is for us to do it. Because we went ahead of him. And we think that we must carry it out in our own human understanding. You know, two examples, I suppose, from the scripture... I would show us what I mean. You know, I thought of Saul. Saul had been sent on a mission to destroy the Amalekites. And this is what Solomon, uh, Samson, Samuel said to him. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child. Sounds very harsh, doesn't it? But it was the command of God. Ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God wanted this heathen, violent tribe to be wiped out. That's what he wanted. 
Then Saul went and do, did, did his bidding. And he didn't do what God wanted him to do. Because he, see, he had a better idea. He had a better idea. He saw how wonderful the sheep were. Oh, they, they'd look nice on the altar. Sacrifice to God. Wouldn't they? What do you think? We keep them sheep. We'll keep them and we'll take them home and we'll sacrifice to God a sacrifice of praise. And that's what he did. Now God said, slay the sheep. But he thought, ah, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't God be more honored? Wouldn't he be more pleased if we brought them home and sacrificed them to him? This is what God told me. But I've got a better idea. I've got a better idea. And then of course we all remember poor old Uzzah. Uzzah. Remember when the cart uh, upon which was the Ark of the Covenant was moving from one place to another. And Uzzah the driver was giving it a bit. And he felt the Ark moving to fall off. Now what is your impulse? What is my impulse? Of course it is to steady it. It's going to fall off. I'm going to steady it. I don't want God's heart falling on the floor and breaking into a thousand pieces. I'm going to steady it. You know, but God said, this is the way you carry the ark. These are the people who touch it. No one else there. Yeah, but that's what you said. But surely if I don't, it'll fall. As if God couldn't hold his own ark on a cart. As if God couldn't do without the sacrifice of sheep and oxen on the altar. But you see, we've got this idea that we've got more wisdom than God. We're better at it than Him. We've seen more than Him. And we can do more than Him. And therefore we do the things that we think are best. There's a way to respect the ark. There were certain people designated to touch it. But it's about to fall. I've got to touch it. I've got to save it. I help God look after His ark. No, we rush in. I know what God wants. I try my best to do it my way. And like Sarah, we wound our own soul and injure other lives. Listen to this. And when she saw, as is eager now, that she had conceived, her mistress became despised. You know, it didn't work out, did it? It didn't work out for good at all. Because someone's hand I'd put, them, I'd put itself into the mix. And God said, I don't want your hand in the mix. No, we need to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And not make the mistake of Sarah or Uzzah or Saul. But reside in the confident knowledge that God knows best. And God knows when is best and how is best you know the old incident in, in this uh, little couple of verses rings a mighty loud bell in my mind listen to this again so Sarah said to Abram look the Lord has restrained me from bearing a child please go in to my maid perhaps I shall obtain children by her and Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. You know that sounds 
very familiar. Have you heard that somewhere before? In fact, it's where we we all came in. Listen to a similar verse. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her and yet. It's exactly the same situation. Exactly the same scenario. No and where does the blow of judgment come? It doesn't come on the women, it comes on the men. Both these men neglected the voice of the Lord and heeded the voice of their wives. You know, and they had no business to, and they paid the price for it. Because God's judgment fell on the men, because he held them responsible in that, in both cases, he had spoken to them. He had spoken to them. You know, and this is a, a, a vital principle for us to understand this morning, that if God speaks to me, then it's not your responsibility to put me right. It's my responsibility to seek the Lord. And if I listen to you, then you are not at fault. I am. And when we put that into our own personal convictions, God has spoken to me. He's asked me to do this. Yeah, but don't you think it'd be better if you did it this way? You listen to that voice and you will be held responsible because you have neglected the word of God and you have received the word of someone else. In other words, God has become of no consequence and someone else has. And the judgment fell upon the men because he held them responsible in both cases because he had spoken to them. And we need always to remember that. You know, of course, it, in both cases, it was the woman who had been the instigators. But it was the men who were punished because they were in receipt of the promise. What did God say to Abraham? In the day that you eat, you will surely die. You will have a son from your own body. You know, this the two promises came to the men. The women deceived, brought in little things. And the men, being men, should have said, no, that's not the way. That's not God's way. That's not God. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to weave and wonder, do all this thing. He needs us to be faithful and to exhibit trust and faith in Him. You know, as we finish uh, this morning, we see that as a result of this trying our best, Eager gets above her station. She despises her master's wife, or her mistress, we could call her. She was a slave of no consequence, really. And if you remember a couple of months ago, I said that she was an Egyptian slave. Should never, ever have been in their household in the first place. You know, if Abraham had made a mess of things down in Egypt, she wouldn't have been there. So here is the consequence of, of a decision that he made years ago. And it's come to bite him again. But she was a slave. But she began to lord it over her mistress, the master's wife. 
What does that mean to us this morning? You know, in the story, I believe that Hagar represents, she doesn't represent sin. Because I said, it's not sin that stops us getting there. She doesn't represent sin, but she represents the flesh. Yud is the son of the flesh. You know, and Paul tells us continually that the flesh wars against the spirit. You know, that's why I'm grateful that Sophie took the meeting this morning and uh, read Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8 is a treatise on the, the flesh and the spirit. And this is what it says. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the physical mind, the, the fleshly mind, the natural mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And here we are. Trying to do the will of God in the way that we think. What are we doing? We're doing it in a natural way. A fleshly way. What did Jesus say to Peter when he said, "Thee were the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he started talking about the cross. And Peter said, "You, no way are you going to the cross. And Peter and Jesus said, get behind me Satan, he says. You have minding the things of man. Not the things of God. The impulse of Peter was that he knew better than Jesus and God. And there was a better way of doing this. His impulse was to save his, his, his master. And stop him being crucified. That was his impulse. It was a natural one. But he's acting in a natural way. A natural way is always at enmity with God. You've got to be very, very careful. When impulses come, that we make sure that they come from the right place. And they are, if they come from the wrong place, that they are guided into the right place. As Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You, you, you can, you're concerned with man's way. And not my way. I've got to go to the cross. I've got to go to the cross. You know, Paul tells us that we are to keep our natural life in subordination to our spiritual. As was read to us this morning. You know, Abraham and Sarah were about to find out that they weren't the boss after all. The situation they were in, they weren't the boss, they weren't calling the shots so that the progress of God's plan of salvation would go on. It wasn't their business. God had called them to be faithful. He called them to bring forth a son. And they should have just kept on doing that until the son came rather than trying to prime the pump with natural ways. You see, he was carrying out his plans in his way and at his pace. No, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our advice. You know, if, if you think that there is a better way, and I've done so, and I've said it from the pulpit, I could have a much better plan than God for saving us, but of course I have. You know, and if we think today in Emmanuel that there's a better way to do what God has called us to do, then rest assured that He's seen it before you and discounted it. That's not His plan. Might be mine. 
It might be the perfect plan in my eyes. But it ain't his plan. Because even though he's seen that plan, he has discounted it. Here in the story of Saul's fall from grace, after he'd made the decision to ignore God's command and take a better route, Samuel spells it out for him. And Samuel's words are perfect to apply this lesson to us this morning. As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, it to, to obey is better than sacrifice. To take heed is better than the fat of rams. And you, if you've not understood anything I've said this morning, just remember this. To obey is better than sacrifice.